Hello and welcome everyone. This is Eat the Blank Page, your cure for writer's block. I'm Victor Rowe, the guy with the microphone. We have a pretty good episode for you today. Today's core question is, do authors know when to stop writing their books? Do authors know when to stop writing their books? Very good question, very good question. But first, is anyone else noticing how dry it's getting? I know, it's winter. Yesterday I had this unbelievably just gusher of blood shoot from my nose. I was in the middle of making a bunch of sandwiches. And... Well, it's it's what I do for my day job, but I'm in the middle of making a bunch of sandwiches. And I look down and just my arms are just a mess of blood. My fucking beard's filled with it. I rush around. I clean. It, it was a whole thing. It seems like everything's dry. Dry air, dry skin, dry. But do authors know when to stop writing their books? It's a, it's a question you can go on to a couple of fronts. This is another one from Cora's AI question generator thing, you know, because why would you want to let the users ask questions? But you can attack it from two fronts finalizing an edit and the story's general plot just the technical side of the structure and things like that but we're gonna get into all of that today's page eating prompt is the clacker yeah i'll be talking about that a little bit later along with some news local writer learns how to use the green screen effect as a, as a little teaser for that but that's all gonna be coming later i think it's a good place to start before we answer the question of how to end a story or a book or a novel or whatever you may be writing, I think it's important to talk about how you start writing something, what kind of writer you are. There's a kind of spectrum most writers lie on between gardeners and architects. One side of the spectrum is a very organic approach. You have a prompt or an initial moment that leads you to the rest of the story. The, the most famous example of this being Stephen King, where if you listen to any of his speeches or any of his talks where he's talking about how he came up with the story for it, he talks about how he's watching a movie in his mind. There was a conference he was doing a talk at where one person asked him a question about the ending of it. And he goes, yeah, I couldn't believe it either. It was, it was a really wild ride <laughs> to a story he wrote. So I think if you're in this sphere, you know about his crazy writing practices or crazy being in some major quotes because he treats it like a, a regular job. He'll go sit down, write for about three to four hours every day. So a 300-page manuscript will take about three to four months because in those three to four hours, his minimum is six pages. So six pages a day for three to four months, 300-page manuscript in the amount of time. That's why he's able to get so many books out so fast. That And he has a, a very good team of editors that kind of just take what he gives and pushes it through. But he is by and large, the market standard for a gardener, where someone like George R. R. Martin would be considered an architect, where he plans out every single detail meticulously. He crafts the world. He has to learn about the characters and motivations and everything weaves in on itself. And he plans out each little scene and each little thing that goes on, which I think is a lot of people's first thought of how writers write, at least in my experience of talking with certain people. But the more I talk to new writers, experienced writers, people who just kind of like stories, there seems to be this spectrum between the two ideas. It's not one or the other. You could have someone who plans out scenes meticulously, but the overall story is kind of just out there. Or they have a set idea for the initial points of, let's say, the main character's progression. You have the incitive incident that changes the main character forever. You have the first slap, which is just something bad happening, getting them put down, but there's no hope in there. It's just bad and they have to deal with it. 
Then comes the second slap, which is the same kind of idea that something bad happens. But in this this time, there's hope. There's some sort of noticeable growth either within the character or within the world itself, the story. And then comes the climax and the end. The climax referring back to the indicive incident where the whole story started before the main character. And the climax should not only reference that, but finish up that through line that has carried the story. Which, depending on your level of experience, might seem obvious, might seem not obvious. For me, it wasn't. I'll link a video down in the comment section that goes through the whole process. If you want to look more into it, just a, a nice little guideline for how to treat your main character throughout the story and certain events that are, are helpful when it comes to how stories are generally written. If you want to go off the cuff and just go crazy, it's totally up to you. But it's a nice little resource to that's been tried and proven to pace the story pretty well. But depending on your practice, you could full full gardener. You could full. You'd be a full architect. You could just be both. You could be dead in the middle. There's a lot of different things you can do. But each one of them have their own struggles, of course. Because if you're a gardener and you get through an entire story and you're looking at the story that you've either watched in your head or have just kind of flowed with, you, there might not be certain things that you wanted to come out of the story. You might dislike the story entirely. And as an architect, it can be extremely overwhelming at times to plan out each and every little thing, even though that's how you naturally tackle a problem like storytelling. It can still, you can be looking at every aspect that you need to figure out and still be overwhelmed and still question which part you should, you should go for first. I definitely lie more on the architect side, but I'm more of a gardener in my thinking where I'm like, well, what if this happened? And then I'll follow a, a through line. I'm like, well, what if this? And then I'll reset the entire thing, go back to the initial point and go through another sequence of events in my mind. And then when I go to write, I plan it out. And then as I'm writing, the descriptions, the actions are organic where the defined moments okay, this person needs to get in truck here because then this happens. Okay, getting to the truck, describing the truck, being in the truck, the thing coming to the truck and either hitting the truck or whatever is all organic. But the defined actions or moments are what I plan out and what I structure. And as an overall, in an overall plot sense, that is the same thing where I have scene A that does that sets up for scene B, that sets up for scene C. Just getting there or getting to each defined point is where I start to garden and organically grow the story. And there has been times where even just in developing Doppler House, I've gone through a scene or a story and something comes up that I decide to do that I then need to go through and change a few things in the overall story because one scene either worked really well, something clicked in my head and made everything else just kind of fall into line. It was all very, very useful. And with that as being in my writing, a, a balance of both a gardener and an architect, that is one of the struggles where I need to have a nice system to define, hey, this is a good enough idea that I originally came up with that I now need to go through and tweak something here and here and here that will benefit the story overall. Only once was there an event that I needed to change the entire story. It was after the first draft, I noticed that there was no drive to move the plot forward. All I had was the events. So 
what I mean when I say like a driver of plot. Plots are all conflict, right? Stories are drama and conflict and people dealing with a problem in a place at a certain setting and certain time. That's all a story is usually ever. But there was no problem after the third chapter because my main characters had finally met up and then it was kind of this vacuum where there was no problem to be had. It was just living within itself for the rest of the story. And I didn't get too far. I didn't finish the entire draft before I had to redo it, but I invented a whole new character just to fix this problem where character A is cool with the situation, character B is questioning about the situation and doesn't really know what's going on, but eventually is okay with the situation. Now, character C, the one that I added, is just very opposite of my main character, character A's intentions. But because of my story, they don't hate each other. It's They're not the villain. They're actually part of the main protagonists. With that being said, it was the ulterior motive and the secrecy naturally occurring in the story that leads them to drive the plot forward. It's like, okay, we need to deal with this because this character is going to try to figure this out and all these other things. And once I had that going, I noticed that there would be a natural end to it. So I needed to add another antagonist that would be a foil to that protagonist. So not only do we have a new protagonist driving the plot after a certain point, we now have an antagonist that would prolong that uh, need to move forward, need to do new things. That wasn't there before because I had thought I already had the antagonist because the nature of the story, the antagonist becomes the protagonist and the protagonist is just like trying to figure things out. It was a single scene where I had the idea that someone would show up and save the main protagonist because I had no idea how to get them out of the situation. So I just kind of shoehorned a character in and added some new details. But I ended up liking that idea so much, I just made them a character from the beginning. And reading it through now, it seems impossible to not have uh, this character, who I named Benny, because they're so integrated into the plot and their restructured plot that the idea to not have them seems absurd. It seems like you're taking away 70% of the story because you are. Because my first draft was so lacking of just the basic drivers of the plot that all I had was the concept. And through, I think that's what gardening does really well. It brings new ideas to the forefront. It grows your ideas organically. But where being an architect is also nice is that you can take those ideas and retroactively fit them in and restructure certain parts of the plot that to make them work better. So you're not fully just watching a movie in your head and whatever happens, happens. Now you can go back, make certain events in the beginning, reflect certain events in the end, have things tie together poetically. There's a lot you can do by utilizing both strategies. Now, with all that being said, how the hell do you end a story? It's, it's a huge part of the story, funny enough. I'm sure everyone's seen that thing on TikTok where it's like, the Egyptians used to think the most uh, significant thing you could do with your life is die. Now, I'm not going to say stories are any different. It's the final note in the reader's experience. And you can even say it, you can even give this to movies and TV shows. But when you experience the story, you feel, one, you feel like you're part of it. Two, you learn lessons or you have fun with certain ideas. You think it's funny. You think it's sad. Maybe you're relating to something that the characters are going through, but nevertheless, when you consume media that is 
in the form of a story, maybe not a song or something, but ending it is part of telling the story because it should be in the point where if it's too soon and if you end the story too soon, it's unsatisfying. If you prolong the end, it's redundant. You have your audience sitting there wondering why the story hasn't stopped yet, why there's more pages after this crazy thing just happened, and it felt like the story was wrapped up in a nice little bow. But that nice little bow is hard to pinpoint when you as an author or a screenwriter or anything doesn't predetermine the end. When you're just organic, like I personally, I can't think of gardening a story entirely where you're just going until it feels right to stop it. I have writers that I talk to that are like that. I just can't imagine that because I'd be endlessly asking myself, okay, now, okay, now, okay, now. Before I wrote my first sentence, I knew how the story ended. It was always supposed to end like how it's supposed to end. And I think because of that, it gave me a certain level of leverage over my story where since I knew when and where it was going to end, I could use that in my mind as I planned out the story to work around that single spot or that single event or moment to enhance relationships and setting the aspects that made up the final scene through the story to make the final scene more impactful. And just because when you're reading a story for the first time and you don't know what happens, going through the story naturally, when you get to the final scene, it all hits that much harder and it's that much more effective, which is why I like practicing, I almost said architectural strategy, but that seemed a little bit too big brain. I just like the architect side of, um, of writing. That's also assuming that you're the only person working on the story. The role of the editor when it comes to writing novels and just books in general is, is kind of like this, where if a writer brings the raw materials and shapes them in a certain way, if you've ever seen Forged in Fire or have any idea what blacksmithing is, I'll leave a link in the description um, if anyone's interested. But the first step of, say, making a sword is gathering a hunk of metal and shaping it where you put it through the kiln and you hammer it into a certain shape. And then the second half of forging the blade is grinding it down to you have the fine edge, you have the sides all even, you have the spine of the blade or the tang where the hang handle is. You have everything very secure. There's no cracks. There's no edges. You're just making sure the structure of the blade's good before you grind it out, make it sharp, make it the actual blade, add any decorations, wrap the handle. The editor takes the raw materials, sharpens it, makes sure there's no cracks, wraps the handle, and makes it all pretty. So the writer brings the raw material and gives it form. The editor shapes it. That's the relationship. So when you bring up the problems that gardeners or that I see have, or at least the people that I've talked to who garden, the problems that they have, the editor solves those problems, which is a very helpful thing. But when you're an architect, it can be a very difficult process when you have someone going, oh no, this, this, this doesn't work. Well, you just, I just I did all this work and now you're telling me it's wrong. And it's, it's a much different relationship, but it's all about utilizing one feedback. If you are an architect, feedback is an incredible thing. If you have the right mindset about it, if you, if you put forth the goal of making your story as good as it can be instead of making the story exactly what you want it to be. I think that's the right mindset to have about it. 
so that when you receive feedback and when you gain critiques, you can assess the story with the feedback and determine if it's what you want to do, if it's a good idea at all. But if you have no feedback, you have no feedback. And it's up to you to study as much as you can, learn as much as you can to determine what is and is not worth having in the story, good for the overall pacing of the story, all of those things. I just lost my marker. But it's the weight of an ending that can make or break an entire story. Game of Thrones was a phenomenon like any, like nothing anyone's ever seen. I didn't even watch the show, and I know most of the plot, just through clips and people talking about it on podcasts and references and jokes and just the impact that it had was so huge. <laughs> wow, huge, huge, that when the final season came out, it was being rushed, it was past the books, it was its own thing. And for most of the people that I've talked to about it, ruined the story, completely left a bad taste in their mouth. And only the forward thinkers or the, uh, not forward thinkers, but people who just love the story too much to hate it go, yeah, everything but the last season. <laughs> just because the ending was so instinct, like distinctly different and the resolutions that they came up with, the bows that were tied were all wrong. It wasn't paced well. It wasn't written well. And it's not to say that they meant to make it like that. It just calls forth the importance of ending a story in the right way. But also that it's really hard. It's very, very hard to do it right. Especially when you have something to the scale of Game of Thrones. But if you were just trying to end your story, my suggestion would be to look back inside of Incident that changed your main character for the rest of the story. Look to that as the second half of a clip. And if you're clipping your story on either end and you're binding it with the two halves, if your story really begins with this moment, a nice place to start when ending it would be to reflect that moment where, okay, there's an incident that changes your main character forever. Through the entire story, your, your character is now different no matter what happens because of this incident. If there's a way to conclude that incident in the ending, that is the nice place to start. So if we take Avatar The Last Airbender, for example, pinpointing the inside of the incident for Aang is a little weird, but I would say it's when he becomes or when he's told that he's going to be the Avatar. Now, in the story, in a linear sense, it's I don't think that's what it is because you're just meeting the characters and everything. But when he's told he's going to be the Avatar, he is the Avatar. He runs away. He gets frozen in He's lost in a storm, freezes himself, is found like a hundred years later. Cool. But if his story starts with becoming the Avatar or being told he's the Avatar, look to the end. Now, spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. Please go watch it before, before you finish this. It's an amazing watch. But it's been out for a while, so I'm going to talk about it. He ends his story by not, not by dying and not just by defeating the Fire Lord. But he defeats the Fire Lord at the point where he has learned all four elements and has matured into being the Avatar. A lot of the story, he's running away from that responsibility. And through the story, he 
learns the importance of his role. He matures as a person. And you see that in the writing, in his actions that he takes, his behavior, but you also see it in how strong he becomes, i.e. the elements that he learns, the different mindsets from the different elements that he learns. His connection to the spirit realm matures. Everything lines up to, at first, he, he literally ran away from his responsibility of being the avatar. But when the entire world's at stake, the story ends with him, one, saving the world, two, defeating the big, big bad guy. But in doing both of those, he, he solidifies his place as the avatar. He has done the avatar's job. He saved the world. He's kept balance. He's brought together nations. He's done what an avatar does at the end or in the beginning. He ran away from it. Perfect example. So if you're looking at your story, what is that incident that changes your character forever? Can you find a way to, to reflect that moment or incident that shows that your character has grown, that fits with the direction you want your character to go in? I think it would be an amazing place to start if you're having trouble with that. But the, the core question initially is, do authors know when to stop writing their books? And I don't know if you've noticed, but I've, I've been answering two different questions in answering this one because they don't specify any further than that. So from the question, do authors know when to stop writing their books? You can pull, do they know how to end the plot and do they know how to finalize and edit? Where personally, on a big project, uh, Doppler House, I, I have experience ending the story, but the publishing part and the final draft part I'm not too familiar with so I'm not going to speak on but I did su submit an entry into the San Miguel's the San Miguel's writing conference they have this thing where you can submit uh, fiction stories poems whatever it may be and if you win or if you're in the top three they give you a free pass and free passes to talks conferences writing circles it's it's an amazing marketing opportunity. I didn't win, but <laughs> I did submit a short story called Lighthouse that if you want to find, I'll be posting somewhere. Not sure where, but I will. Uh, I'll probably just be reading it on my YouTube, uh, Victor of Stories. But when I was finalizing that story, I chose to reflect the first paragraph entirely. It was a short story, so I, I only had about five pages. And so I thought it'd be like poetic and artsy to be like, to just re-say the original paragraph, but after everything that's happened, make it about love instead of hate or make it hopeful instead of uh, depressing. And if you go and read it, it's called The Lighthouse. I'll leave a link in the, in the end or in the uh, description to it. But when I was ending that, I chose to just make it a full reflection. And this is before I learned about inside of incidents, first and second slap, climax, all that stuff. It was just tying it up was one, the completion of the main character's goal and two, just the reflection of where the story began and where it ended. I called attention to, which felt right. But no, it's a, it's a very good question. And one that even if you've written plenty of stories before, like myself, it can, it can be hard even so that 
Uh, it was it was uh, Jacob from Drawfee, which I'll also leave a link in the description for. I love Drawfee. I've been watching for years, but he said on one episode, and if you've never seen the show, it's it's a bunch of artists that draw and they do drawing challenges and stuff. But Jacob, one of the artists, went, it's a real skill to know when to stop drawing. And immediately everyone else agreed with him. And I think that's true for all art, where you can just endlessly add and edit and expand upon detail and look at color or pacing. But it's a skill to know when to stop messing with something. And I think that's something we can all strive for when we're uh, going through our stories. But if you're here without a story and you're looking at your page and you're just wondering what the hell you're going to write, we got this page eating prompt for you and it can hopefully help you out. So unlike last episode's story prompt that gave you the beginning of a story, I'm going to be giving you a character prompt. A character prompt in the clacker. Oh, it's a being. It can be a monster or a person that carries around a magical cue card. If you don't know what that is, it's action. They, it's the black and white thing that they snap down. It has the scene and the time and everything. And uh, they use it when they're shooting movies and TV shows. And it makes this big clack sound. It's a big cue card that they use to signal the start of chaos or their influence. I, I'm getting a lot of Jujutsu Kaisen vibes where it's a tool that they use to start their powers. Or it's a monster that if you see him and he, like, he's able to cue down, he starts like driving you insane or something. Where if he can't or if he doesn't, he can't do anything to you but he has like a certain time and date on the cue card and when he clacks down it's actually counting down to the time that he he cued so when it turns out to be that time that's when like you die or something i don't know there's a lot you could do with the character but the idea of cueing and it being either a monster or someone who fights monsters it seems fun so yeah hopefully that helps uh, someone out there like all of my page eating prompts, you can look to my TikTok, YouTube, no, my TikTok, where you can stitch your take on this character. If you make fan art, if you write a short story, if you sculpt, if you do anything, stitch it to that TikTok. I'll be looking through it. And for next week's episode, I will announce the winner. If it's something visual, I'll be posting it on my Instagram with a congratulations. If it's a writing, I'll be reading it on the podcast and giving full credit to giving full credit to the artist with links and bios and all that good stuff but go there you'll find it it'll be titled the clacker very very noticeable very very obvious and just like i said stitch that the winner will be announced next week time for news be on the lookout for a huge push of videos that researchers say could be the new normal yes i'm starting a new system that is going to allow me to get content out for you guys really regularly. So be on the lookout for those. Those. Be on the lookout for those. Uh, very, very exciting stuff. And finally, Blue Lobster is a shiny Pokemon. You can't convince me otherwise. If you guys have not seen a Blue Lobster, I did the other day. And it is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Blue Lobsters. But I'm going to add a picture of that in the Instagram post. If you guys didn't know, I take certain pictures from whatever we talk about in the podcast 
and I post it to my Instagram, Victor Rose Stories. Uh, if you haven't noticed, Victor Rose Stories is what I use for all of my socials, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Victor Rose Stories, if you look me up there, you can find me. And each of my bios is my link tree that takes you to everything of mine. So if you just want a one-stop shop, you can go there. It's on all my things. It's even on what you're listening to, probably, unless you're on Spotify. And if you are on Spotify, go to YouTube. But that's the end for today's episode on writing and endings and all that stuff. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, yeah, be careful about nosebleeds. They're uh, pretty prevalent nowadays. <laughs> all right, stay warm, everyone. Stay warm, everyone.